0: It's good to travel. I love traveling. I think it's so much fun. I figured out, I like traveling for 16 days. We were gone for 20. About 16 days, on day 16, I was like, I'm good. I've done it. I'm ready to go home. And then we got on a cruise ship. And I was like, well, it's It's all right. This is not bad. We ate pretty well. And you know, when you travel, when you travel, you be kind of become a global citizen, right? Or at least you try to be global in nature, right? Not simply myopic to our own experience. I mean, what does it mean to be a global citizen? There's this term, ugly Americans. Have you heard about it? And it's hard not to be sometimes, right? Um, it's hard not to be, I mean, because we stick out like sore thumbs for, for real, because we're always like, how come I can't plug my phone charger in here? All right, there's that question. There's, you know, trying to figure out the money. How much in dollars? Right? It's hard to be I like to travel completely incognito. Like there were there were tour groups that are there and they've got like these fuchsia shirts, right? And the person's walking around with an umbrella, like a closed umbrella, like follow me, follow me. We're not like that. We're like we don't know them. Like to each other. We don't know. We're just hanging out. We're we're natives. Right? We were like that. And um and so I mean that's how I like to, we didn't have name cards, we didn't have any of that. Going into groups can be tough. We like to kind of blend in as much as we could. And listen, there's some ways that you blend in, right? If, If you're going to be a global citizen, if you're going to be a global traveler, you want to kind of blend in. You want to, you know, you want to eat that food that you're not supposed to eat. Drink that water you're not supposed to drink. You want to you know, you want to be there as part of it. One of the ways that you can do that is by listening, right? Listening to what's going on rather than just speaking first, but listen to the needs and the processes of the places where you're traveling. How does that work? Let me understand that. So we're not just going in and barging in, making sure that that they know that you value them and their experience. That's part of being a global citizen. You know, another way that you can be a global citizen besides blending in and, and listening is just a smile, Man, we, we had a guy on this trip, and I'm going to call him out. I don't know if he's here, but Rico, Macias, man, Rico, Rico, he, he woke up in the morning smiling, super annoying. Um, no, 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 it was so awesome. He'd wake up in the morning, and he's like, kalimera, which is good morning in Greek, and he's like, kalimera, everyone, and everyone's like, kalimera, and he talked to everyone in their own language and destroyed it as he was talking to them. No, man, it was so great. He knew somebody everywhere. Everywhere he, we're standing at the Western Wall. All of a sudden, he's talking to this girl. Good job. No, he just knew everybody everywhere, It didn't matter where he was. He was smiling. He was talking to people, and people like so just resonated with Rico. It was so great. So Rico, thanks for that. You really taught us how to be global citizens, man, and embarrassed us deeply many times. <laughs> By the way, if. You, the, you know I was have to talk about this trip a little bit. Rico had a GoPro camera and his camera work looked a lot like this. <laughs> so when that video comes out, if you get sick, it's his fault. Now, man, we're just stoked to have everybody with us and have so much of a good time because we wanted to be kind of global citizens, right? And it's interesting that our text actually speaks a bit to this today, and it's a text that you probably know. It's a text that you've heard before, Um, and it comes from the book of Jeremiah, and we'll break open the context, but I'm going to read it first, and then we'll break open the context to it. It says this, Jeremiah 29, 4, it says, "'This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem.'" Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce, right? Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Don't dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, this is a text that, you know, that last part, you've probably heard before, you know it. We, you know, we love to quote things out of context, so we just quote that part. Um, but but this, let me give you some context then. This was written between 597 B.C. and 587 B.C. 587 was the destruction of Jerusalem completely, so it was written then. And what was going on is that the, the exiles in Babylon were being taught by a guy named Hananiah, who was a false prophet. And, and... The, the text that Jeremiah is sending them, the word that he got from the Lord was, hey, you're not coming home early because Hananiah was trying to be popular and was saying, listen, we're not going to be here the whole time. Don't worry about it. We know that God said 70 years, but that's not going to happen. God's going to send you back. And Jeremiah sends a letter out to them going, actually, you're not coming home early. He was not a very popular prophet. You were going to spend 70 years there. And if you remember, Daniel in the book of Daniel, the, pro, the, the angel comes to Daniel and tells them that these people are going to stay all these prophetic years, and Daniel doesn't even want to tell them these people wanted to go home. Because you know what it's like to be in exile, right? You know what it's like to be away from home too far? You just want to get home. And, and so you don't want to invest in the place where you are. You just want to get home. But let's go back and look at this text, and and maybe we can learn a few things from it that we didn't know before about what it means to be global citizens, what it means to be, you know, out of your own home, if you will. Jeremiah 29:4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives, and let's stop right there. He has exiled from Babylon. To Babylon from Jerusalem. He has exiled. So who did the exiling? God did the exiling. We have a tendency to think that it's Nebuchadnezzar who came and took them, but God is the one who sent them out. Nebuchadnezzar is only doing God's bidding, but he probably didn't know that he was doing God's bidding. And so he says to them, what I need you to do is I need you to build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. So build homes and plants. Build and plant. The Babylonians gave the the Judean exiles, a, a pretty wide berth to kind of live as they need to. It's pretty reasonable, right? But, but here, God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah, he is saying, build and plant, plant and build. Now, we don't like to do that because when you're in exile, you just want to get home. We have a tendency not to invest in places, but here God is saying, listen, plant yourself where God places you. doesn't matter where it is. Right? And I'm speaking to a, specific, a couple specific groups of people because, uh, as you know, we live here in the shadow of Loma Linda. Lots of people come to Loma Linda. Right? They come for three, two, three, four, five, sometimes 12 years they come into this area. And there's a couple groups of people who feel like they're in exile all the time. The first one is the group of people that come from the Pacific Northwest. Right, They come down here and they're just adamant like they are not going to stay. Like, and they're super arrogant about it. Have you noticed that? These people from the Pacific Northwest are like, oh, we come from the Pacific Northwest where it rains. (laughs) Or they're like, hey, we come from the Pacific Northwest where there's trees. Well, I think trees are a mixed bag (laughs) because they light on fire down here, right? No, Pacific Northwest. So people from the Pacific Northwest are never from here. They're always from the Pacific Northwest. Have you noticed that? can't stand them. Um, the second group is Texans. <laughs> that one took a moment. You guys are like, oh yeah. Cause you know some person from Texas who hasn't lived there in 42 years. And they're like, where are you from? And they're like, Texas. I live outside of Amarillo. And you're like, no you don't. You live in Colton. <laughs> right? And they're like, no, but I'm from Texas. I still like my Texas teams. And they have bad days when their teams don't win. Those people, you know what I tell them, I'm like, oh, you feel like you're living in exile 42 years? Go back. You don't have to live here. Because if you don't want to be from here, you don't have to live here. This is a problem. Um, when, when, When you feel like you're in exile, you don't invest. And God says, listen, you need to plant and build where you are, where you find yourself, whether it's here, whether it's somewhere else, whether it's overseas, it doesn't matter. You need to plant and build. And buildings, of course, is not just about buildings. Right? Because there's many things that we can build. You can build relationships. I mean, we're not islands. We, we have a longing to be connected. You know, do you know your neighbors? Do you know your coworkers? Do you know the people that you go to church with? Or are you just coming and consuming because this is not really your home? You know, I, I, this is what I say to the students all the time. Listen, if you're going to be here for a long time, you've got to plant some spiritual roots somewhere. You don't have to plant them here. I don't care where you plant them, but you got to plant some spiritual roots because two years, three years, five years, that's enough time to really grow and build some relationships, right? You can also build value into the community where you find yourself, right? You can build value. You can contribute, be a contributing member of society, not just kind of floating until you leave the place that you don't necessarily want to be you got to remember, the children of Israel were in exile. They did not want to be there. Exile is not a positive word. It's not a passing through. It's a you can't come back for a while. And so they were not happy about being there. And God is telling them, you gotta, you got to plant and you got to build. You can also build the kingdom no matter where you are. Right? This is the great call to be salt and light in the places where you find yourself. How do you share the kingdom? How do you let people know the meaning that you have been given through Jesus Christ? You know, we could even break this down into, like, I'm in exile in my job, right? Some of us hate our jobs. Not me, I like my job. It's good. I'm good to be here. Um, Some of us, I'm talking globally, hate our jobs, and you may be one of those people. Like, Monday morning rolls around, and you hate it. You can't believe you have to go to that job. You don't like anybody there. You don't like anything that you have to do. You don't want to be there. That's a hard way to live, and I'm sorry if that's the way you live. But I want to admonish you for something. You've been called to plant and build in that spot that you don't want to be. And if that means your only job, other than the stuff they make you do, is to share the kingdom or grow the kingdom through that exile job that you have, then that's what you should be doing, right? Build the kingdom no matter where you find yourself. Plant and build. Plant and build. And then in Jeremiah 29, 6, it says, Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Think about them hearing that. Like, I don't want to be here, and you're telling me that I'll be here through my grandchildren? That's not good news. But what he's saying is multiply. Don't dwindle away, right? You, if, if you don't contribute, if you don't become part of what's happening here, you are gonna, you're going to be a footnote in the archives of history because you didn't become something where I planted you. And yeah, I know that you don't want to be there, says God, but you're here now. And then, verse 7, right? Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. Shalom. That's the term they would use, right? That's a very, very um, important term to Israel at that time, to the Judeans. And he's saying the most valuable thing that you have, which is shalom, Shalom and shalom, peace and prosperity, peace and health. Um, The very most important thing that you have, you need to pray that onto the people that took you out of where you are, where you want to be, right? This is the most quoted and often thought of part of the text, but he's saying work and pray for prosperity of a group of people who took you away. Work and pray for their prosperity, for their peace, for their well-being, This is the most scandalous thing that Jeremiah is saying, but this really speaks to God's understanding of the connectedness that people have in a community. And again, this is the most outlandish thing that he said. Now, we can't do this. It's hard to do this, but we can do it if our citizenship is in heaven. If our citizenship is in heaven, it doesn't matter where we're passing through. It only matters where we are and how connected we are with heaven. But listen, we cannot do this if we are constantly worried about us versus them. Right? If you are constantly worried that the other people might get more, the other people might have more, the other ones might, 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 if we are constantly worried about that, we cannot pray for the peace and prosperity of the people that we don't like, of the people that we don't necessarily want to be with, of the people that we don't necessarily want to be around, or in the places where we find ourselves that we don't want to be. So, on this trip, we spent half a day in Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem is the Israeli Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And to say it's powerful is not enough. It, it gives you the history from the early 30s through 1946 of what happened in Germany and in Poland, what happened in all these different countries that Germany occupied. And, and of the millions of people that were systematically gotten rid of. You see, because that society was functioning on an us versus them. And, and you can begin to see how from the very early 30s, they began to dehumanize the Jewish people in their culture. They began to say, well, they're not real. Well, they began to blame them for things. The reason why you're not doing well is because of them. And man, we all like a scapegoat, don't we? We all like a reason that I'm not doing well, especially a reason that's outside of me. Because nobody likes to realize that I'm the problem. I'm my own problem, right? What we like is somebody else to be our problem. Because then we can just deal with that other person and then our problem goes away. Well, this began to happen systemically and systematically from the 30s through what we ultimately saw as the Holocaust. Right? Do you think they were able to pray for the peace and prosperity of this other group of people that they wanted to come up with a final solution to eradicate from the planet. That's an extreme example, right? But it happened. Good. Jesus-loving people somehow were able to move their mindset to such an us-versus-them situation that they were willing to see that happen. Not everyone. I'm not indicting a whole nation, but man, there were a lot. How does that happen? It happens because we forget about where our citizenship is. We forget that our citizenship is in heaven, and if that's the case, then everyone we see happens to be a another child of God you see to pray for Shalom for Babylon was unthinkable yet this is what God asked of them it was unthinkable have you ever noticed that God seems to always ask the unthinkable of you God's will is the worst because it's the worst thing you want to do What's unthinkable in your life? Because chances are, that's the thing that God wants you to do. Pray for the peace and prosperity of those that have taken you into exile, of those that have mistreated you, that have, that have taken everything that was of value to you and stripped you away from it. Pray for those people? Are you kidding? God doesn't joke like that. I mean, is the will of God always unthinkable in our lives? Well, that depends on what you're thinking about most of the time, doesn't it? If the will of God is unthinkable, if those kind of things are unthinkable in your life, then what you haven't been doing is you haven't been thinking about the things that God wants us to think about. Whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, those things that we are supposed to be thinking about, if those are the things that we are occupying our mind with and occupying our lives with, if those are the things when God says, pray for the prosperity of your enemies, you're like, done. I've been doing that already. Because you told me, God, that I'm supposed to think on the very best things in life. And I'm supposed to lean towards compassion and lean towards love. These are the things that I'm supposed to do. There is no us versus them. There's just us and God. Thank God. So where do you claim your citizenship? Right? This becomes a real thing for us when you go through customs. Right? Because you pull out your passport and you realize mine's blue and I have to stand in this line. And this line is long, and that line's short, but you can't get out because you're, this is where you're supposed to be, right? That's your citizenship, right? So what happens when you, when you travel? You realize, oh, I do have a national identity, and it's right here in this little booklet. So saying that we have an identity, saying that we have a citizenship that is in heaven that transcends the identity that we have, does this mean that our national citizenship doesn't matter? And I'm going to answer that, not at all. Of course it matters. It's just not above the citizenship of heaven. And no nationality can claim to be higher or have the corner of the market on heaven. If you belong to this group of people, you're closer to God. It doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. And I know, you talk about citizenship and all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, wait a second, Pastor Tim, don't get political. I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be biblical. You're going to have to interpret your politics about all this kind of stuff, about borders and immigration, all that kind of stuff, refugees. That's stuff you've got to figure out according to how God convicts you. I'm not trying to come to a consensus here because we won't be able to do that. But I will tell you this, as Christians, we claim a different sort of citizenship. As Christians, we claim something higher than anything that any country can give us. Is it important? Of course it's important. I'm clearly an American. Everyone knows when I travel, even when I don't want them to. Where do you claim your citizenship? Because if you claim your citizenship in heaven, then you have got to pray for the peace and prosperity of those that you may not identify with of those that live outside these lines that we call borders. You become a global citizen because you don't live just all over the world. You live above the world because that's where our, our identity comes from. You know, and I'm going to tell this story and some of you are going to go, oh, that leads, like, I get it, okay? But I'm going to tell you this story because it happened and it, it made me Pause. So we're in, in Kusadasi, Turkey. We're going to Ephesus. I guess we're coming back from Ephesus, which is the ancient site where Paul planted the church, obviously, in Ephesus and then wrote that letter that we call Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. And um, amazing things. There's a the temple of Artemis there. There's this library that was the third largest library in the ancient world. Um, and and someone on the bus asked, hey, what do, what is?" you know, the, the Turkish folk, what do they feel about, um, about the refugees coming in from Syria? You have to understand, there's like 28 million people in Turkey, and 5 million refugees have come over the border over the last 10 years, so it's, it's big, and it was interesting the way he answered that, and you know, maybe he was trying to make a point, I don't know, but I, I'm just going to share it with you. He looked, and our guide was kind of funny. He was from Chicago, but he was Turkish, spoke English really well. And he got this little gleam in his eye. And he goes, well, he goes, you know, we we have a book that tells us to accept our brothers, so we'll take them all. All of them. We don't care. And again, I know, you know, like immediately my mind's like, well, there's going to be some problems. And he goes, yeah. And then he gets this little twinkle in his eye, and he essentially says, I think you've got a book that says some of that too. Ah, he's probably making a point. And again, you're going to have to decide how you believe in the way that this works in your life. But what I see from Scripture today is that when you find yourself in exile, you are to not only be salt and light, but you are to, to marry and, and find spouses and plant and build so that the kingdom of God can continue to grow through you. And through your family as they find, you know, value in your citizenship. And they find citizenship in heaven as well. And that's a powerful message. And it's a powerful and and absurd message for a group of people that were literally, violently taken from their homes and, and placed in a place they didn't want to be. If that's the case, and they were over there, and they were admonished to pray for the peace and prosperity of the place where they found themselves, what about you? You who probably live in a place that's not too bad, in a place that you maybe chose to live in, whether you're here, whether you're online, wherever you are. What about you? Are you praying for the peace and prosperity of the people around you, of the communities around you, of the neighbor that you don't like? Are you praying for the peace and prosperity that they, might, that they might find a new identity in Christ? Because we know that that's the greatest peace and the most important prosperity that we can have. That's what I see when I read these scriptures. And so, I guess my challenge to you today is just Figure out where you claim your citizenship. What's the most important identity that you have in life? And live that. Make that the thing that comes out of your mouth. Make that the words that are on your tongue. And make that the overflow of your heart so that the world might grow to be more like the kingdom of God. Because that only happens through those who claim a citizenship, and it's a dual citizenship, but we claim the citizenship in heaven that is overarching everything else that we do, and it ceases to be us against them. It becomes us for them and us with them. And they become us, and then we all worship God. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's what we're called to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus, we claim claim our citizenship in you, in your your place, your heaven. Lord, we feel like we are exiles at times, like we are here stuck in this place that we don't want to be, but you've told us to plant and build, so we'll do that. We'll plant deep roots, a family, of community. We will contribute. We'll give value to the place around us. And we will build. We'll build relationships. We'll build value. But more than anything, Lord, we'll build your kingdom together as a community. We don't do this by ourselves. So, Lord, thank you for those words of Jeremiah. I know it was hard to hear for the, for the Judeans in exile. It's hard for us to hear today. Lord, may we be those people who honor that. We ask for this wisdom. We ask for this courage in our lives, Lord, because it's a courageous stance to say my citizenship is there. So give us courage. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. May we have courage and be courageous. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.